Michael Heyman, and you're listening to Changemakers. I'm joined today by Gina Badenoch, the social entrepreneur with a dream to enable social and economic mobility to build a more inclusive society. With a primary focus on fostering equality for the visually impaired through the company she has founded, Capaxia and Oyos Kesienten, Sight of Emotion, she creates experiences that change mindsets to overcome the prejudices that exist between talent, potential, and companies. It's an approach that has seen Gina recognized as a young global leader by the World Economic Forum and an Ashoka Fellow with a change-making ethic inspired by her quote for life, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Gina, welcome to Changemakers. Thank you very much for the invitation. Very happy to be here and to share a little bit of my own journey. <laughs> oh, I, well, I'm looking forward to it. I'm, and I'm glad I got a nod of approval as I stumbled my way through the pronunciation of your companies. <laughs> Yeah, it's it, it, well, it is in Spanish, so I was very impressed how you managed to, to say ojos oh. in a very nice uh, accent. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, listen, let's start with that wonderful quote when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And I think for somebody whose whole life has been about sight and about, about how we, how society expresses itself in this area. I think it's such a lovely quote. Tell us about it, but also within the context of your world, I guess, Gina. Yeah, I think that quote has been very important for me throughout a few years, I would say now, because I'm a photographer. So I see the world in a very visual way. And yet 16 years ago, I started doing a lot of work with visually impaired people and of course, in a very crazy Mexican-British way, <laughs> I came up with the idea of teaching photography to blind people as a way to, to help others see things differently. You know? So I think that quote, that, that's why it makes a lot of sense to me, because I think it's within each of us if we decide to see things differently and from different perspectives or, or if we just stay in the same place. And I think that's where it, it relates to the work I've been doing. I decided mm-hmm. to challenge perceptions and ideas, mindset, and started teaching photography to blind people as a way to hear their voice from what they do have. So, so tell us about that. Tell us about what what you found through through the experience. I really was amazed and I keep being surprised how what is possible when we focus in what we do have. So blind people, when they had the opportunity to use a camera to express themselves, the, the perception towards themselves also changed. Because it was about what you do have and what do you want to say. You cannot see, but you perceive, you have messages to share, you have emotions. So suddenly it's just shifting into what you do have and what is possible rather than focusing in the limitation and what you don't have. And, 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 you, no? and you said that while sight is critical to people's everyday lives, its importance seems overvalued at the expense of the other four senses. I'm wondering how in a very, you know, a very visual experience like photography, how that plays in. How, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of wanting listeners to understand the process, I guess, in terms of that work and actually what the outputs were. So, yeah, the process, we started by using all the senses. So it would be touch to identify the camera, sound, the cameras when you click on and off has sound. And when they're starting to map out the image they want to create, no, and they, they want to photograph, they would, like they're going to take a photo of you. They'll ask if you can talk to them. And then they know how far you are, where your voice is coming from. If they can approach you and measure, no, with touch, mm. like with their hands, how tall you are or how wide, or if you have long hair or short hair, they start getting information. And obviously they smell what's around, the sound. So all that information, perception, really gives them the information for the photograph they want to take. Mm-hmm. And the click of the camera becomes the, 
really the bridge with the sighted world because when they click and they take the photo, they're speaking our language. Suddenly we connect to the mm -hmm. sighted world. And, and you call this sensory photography, haven't you, in terms of, I mean, and it's a wonderful thought, isn't it? Because, you know, quite often, I mean, I'm, I'm a frustrated photographer my, my, myself, but, but I do understand that it's not just about looking into some square or, or rectangle sort of viewfinder, that actually so much of, so much of a really get, great photograph is almost a spiritual experience. It is a sensory experience. It's about capturing something, a mood, an idea. I mean, in terms of the work that you have done, if you would sort of like, explain it because obviously we, we, we can't see it on a, on a when we're listening in a, in a in a podcast but we can hear what you might say in terms of well going through that experience the people that you worked with what were they able to capture what does sensory photography open up that I guess nothing else can do in the same way well I would love to share actually a, a story a very brief story of Alejandra one of my students that she's flying from birth and one of my first students so that was 16 years ago and we went to the sea and for the first time she was in front of the sea and she wanted me to describe it to her and I asked her to describe it so I would like to invite everyone that is listening to really close their eyes and while I share this story imagine mm. because that's what happened with Alejandra and she basically turned around and said as we're standing in front of the beach and I can feel the water coming through my toes, it tickles all over my body. It feels like someone is giving me lots and lots of kisses, and it makes me happy. But when wow. the water goes back into the sea, I can feel the strength, and I respect it. It smells very fresh, and it feels like a very wide and big space for the sea. Doesn't and it? I mean, I've, I've had my eyes closed mm -hmm. and listening to it, and you, and you can hear that story. You can hear the sea. You can feel it. You can taste smell it. the freshness, mm. taste it. She was saying salty. And at the end, I laugh because she turns around and she says, you know, Gina, the more I think about it, the sea is like men, playful. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there I suppose what you're talking about is storytelling and, and expression and giving people a medium where their vulnerabilities might become strengths or their perceived vulnerabilities might become strengths. I mean, I'm thinking about art as the metaphor for a bigger transformation, right? I mean, and, and I'm wondering what, what, what you make of that premise in terms of your work and, and what it empowers people to do. I think definitely it's just a starting point. I'd always say sensory photography is just a starting point of what happens when we actually connect beyond labels and when we really are curious to see the person from what they do have. And that's what happened with visually impaired through photography, which is the starting of a journey of connecting and it's showing up from what they did have and not from the limitation and for sighted people to really be challenged of what is really when when we're seeing are we really seeing with the eyes or is there an opportunity to see beyond that mm -hmm. and connecting a deeper level and that has really enabled to change perceptions toward people with disabilities who are visually impaired because that label kind of vanishes and suddenly it's about what you have to say and what you can do so it has become a bridge for inclusion now when you look at your life today, this is an area that you have deep expertise in. You've been recognized by the World Economic Forum as a young global leader and Ashoka, global change maker, and, and many other accolades. But let's go back because you mentioned the kind of Mexico British kind of like, I guess, what would we call it? Chemistry formula, because this this really applies to your mum and dad, doesn't it? In terms of, let's pick up the story from the start, I guess, in terms of your background and try and weave our way through to what gets you to today, Gina. Yeah, it's 
funny because um, I always say having that mix, it's a, it's a crazy mix. And a friend said, you're a magical hybrid that is a provocateur of changing mindsets. Um, which I said, okay, that's what makes it so exotic. But um, I think definitely I always share these parts because I am very clear that thanks to this mix, has I, I am where I am today, meaning that being brought up in Mexico, where I saw a lot of the differences mm-hmm. from a very early age, at eight years old, I said to my parents, I want to go to prisons and ask people why they do what they do, because they don't uh, wake up and say, I want to go and steal or kill. Something went on. So being exposed to so much differences in daily life made me aware. And then coming to the UK and seeing what's happening and what could be possible, it was my inspiration to, to go out there and fight for things and then take them to Mexico or vice versa, bring things from Mexico to UK. Got it. Now, which one's which? Mum and dad? My mom is Mexican. My dad is British. Right. And he he helped set up a, the British-Mexican Friendship Foundation after the earthquake mm-hmm. in, in 1985. And in fact, your mum is also very much involved in social causes. What, to what degree did, did upbringing help unlock the activist, Gina, in terms of, you know, what, what you were to go on to do? Oh, totally. They've been a huge influence. When I saw my mom preparing her classes to go, she's a psychologist, and to go and support communities, uh, I wanted to be part of that, you know. I want to, I actually would go, and while she was helping the mothers, I would play with the kids. So I, I would see it at home, and and my dad, who, who actually has an OBE, so he, he was really recognized by his work. So I think he has become also a role model of there's no limits, you know. I remember going with him when he got the OBE and say, one day I, I would like to be here, you know. It was that inspiration of everything is possible. So I definitely saw it at home up to date, and they've been a great support all these years. And I think that seeing that at home and those role models, and that story has definitely helped me want to grow that legacy, you know, be part of something bigger. One of the things I'm thinking about as you're speaking is when, when I interviewed Bill Drayton, the the, um, the founder of Ashoka, he talks about the, the, the first step for a change maker is to give yourself permission that mm-hmm. actually there is something something I can do, that I have agency and I have empowerment. Now, I know there was a, a seminal moment, dialogue in the dark uh, in Mexico City. Mm-hmm. But what I'm wondering, was that it in terms of that sense of, empowerment and permission. I mean, I certainly think it was probably important in giving you purpose and an understanding of where you would put your efforts. But in terms of the quest to affect change, to -hmm. become a change maker yourself, what were the the chapters, I guess, in terms of that arrival, that consciousness, that, that sort of that sense that you could do something? So definitely uh, being brought up in Mexico, as I said, an early age influenced me. But then um, I went to boarding school in the UK for a year and I had a very close friend of mine who sadly had a car accident. And that was for me my crucial moment of I need to do something in this world. So that was when I was 6, 17, 18. And then that also influenced wanting me to do a gap year in Nepal. And that just built on this idea, I have to leave a legacy. Life is too short. So when I was in my gap year, that just was a continuity, how much I love teaching and photography and connecting different cultures and perceptions. And then when I went back to Mexico and I had dialogue in the dark, 
experience. Actually, I was just one week before I was coming to the UK to do a master's in image and communication. That was a moment where I said, I want to teach photography to blind people. Mm. Was it a lightning bolt? I mean, did you feel something when you were in the... I mean, what I'm trying to understand the feeling, the emotion, the empathy, I guess, that, that, that you felt. Yeah, it was, it was like a aha moment. You know, I, I, as soon as I walk away from dialogue in the dark, I was like, I want to teach photography to blind people. And when I shared the idea, everyone was like, are you completely mad? Like, how is that possible? Why would you do that? I didn't know any blind people. So I had to actually approach my guide from Dialogue in the Dark. And I said, I, you're the first person I meet who is blind, but I have this idea. It just makes sense. I saw it. It was like, aha, you know, it just makes sense. Mm-hmm. It was very clear that as a photographer, I could build the bridge for blind people to be seen from what they do have. And, it was and, just that. And <laughs> obviously that event and experience was one where sighted people were led through exhibitions in complete darkness to replicate the experience of being blind. And what I'd like to know is kind of like, g- given that this seems to have been quite a moment in terms of you were going to do something with your life that was completely different than perhaps you would you were thinking about before you went in there. What, what, what was the reaction that you had to that experience? What did it teach you, I guess? I think it was about a mix of things. It was like, what a, sometimes we have all these crazy ideas that sound crazy and we just drop them. And in this case, this crazy idea became a driver of saying, it sounds impossible and crazy and I want to explore it. So it just taught me that when you believe in the impossible, the incredible comes true, honestly. And even though the voices outside said, this mm. is crazy, how are you going to do this? It was that just follow that dream. I saw it, you know, it's to hear, listen to your intuition, trust what you see in your mind. Sometimes we don't see it physically, but you see it in your mind and, and go for it, no? So vision so, it. Yeah, yeah. Vision it with no fear. And even if it can sound, of course, I thought it was crazy. I was like, it is crazy, but why not? Let's explore it. So I used a year that I was doing my master's in the UK to explore how I could approach images through the senses. Mm. And it was possible, no? But and, it sounded and, like a great idea. Well, you've gone on to, you know, build your own initiatives, Dinners in the Dark. You've you've built a, a consultancy, Capacia you know, working with businesses on, on on empathetic and strategic advice, authentic leadership. I mean, it's definitely feels like it's been a, a roadmap for you in terms of, I guess, understanding what your purpose is and, and actually what your power is to affect change. Yes. And I think the different ways I've, I've transformed my, that purpose I have, which is really, I, I really believe that when we're creating this inclusive narrative, we will increase social and economic mobility. And mm. I, for some reason, I started with no visually impaired people, which is very visual in a way, <laughs> the irony, no, uh, using mm. that channel. And as time goes by, I, 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 yeah, I've now started working with a wider group of people who are not being seen. Really, that's what I'm about. You no, know? it's like there's so many people that are not being seen, and yet they have so much to bring to the table. Yes, I mean, it's interesting. It's interesting that because when when I interviewed Caroline Casey, the the founder of the Valuable 500, this is her point, you know, which is that what you see you are missing in terms of latent potential, in terms of 1.3 billion people around the planet with a disability, not only economic loss, but also the fact that so many of us will experience disability throughout our lives. And I suppose a lot of what you're doing is socializing change, demystifying change. How hard a job is that, Gina, in, in terms of actually awakening people to the possibilities of these amazing people that you're working with? I think the biggest challenge is uh, the mindset and the narrative that is around the topic. 
of different, no? I think we are afraid of the unknown. I do a lot of work on biases and it's only human that we reject what we don't know and we attract what we like and we know. And I think when we're working with different groups, if it's disability, if it's race, if it's refugees, if it's gender, you know, all the different groups, if it's unknown to us, there's a bit of a fear of Mm. connecting with the unknown. So that's why I believe more than ever the narrative is so important because if not, if we cannot change the mindset and the behaviors if we are not telling a different story. It's time to tell a different story. Kim Pullman told me a lot of that's down to judgment, the, the, uh, the, the need to judge a situation rather than just let it be, rather than just let it, you know, we judge everything. That I mean, do you recognize that in, in your work oversight? Definitely, definitely. The judgment, in a way, plays a, a role of protection because I don't know it. I judge it from where I am. But then the question is, are we willing to move to see it from a different perspective? I'm not asking to see it from where you are. I'm asking you to move, be curious, be respectful, be empathetic. And it's okay not to to understand it, but are we ready to listen to different stories and to see people from different perspectives? Well, and and when you talk about movement, I mean, you know, I I loved your, your, your description of your new normal as dancing to the rhythm of life with curiosity and surrender with open heart and mind listening to my intuition. Tell us about the rhythm of life. What does it mean to you? What, 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 what about those that aren't in rhythm with life? What can they do? I'm a dancer from heart since I was a kid. I was always dancing. So uh, I definitely see life and more than ever a dance that if we learn how to dance along, we can have a great time and not get frustrated and we don't trip over. But um, we need to also surrender to it. And sometimes we we are not in charge. We, it's time to be led. And sometimes it's, just, it's time mm. to sit down and observe and just trust the, the journey and then stand up and carry on dancing. So I think that life is a dance. It's well, a I mean, life, life is a dance. Okay, but... but I suppose look at it, looking at it through another lens is that mm-hmm. a lot of my conversations seem to be at the moment about a life in balance or the quest for balance, which feels like a lot of life at the moment feels profoundly unrhythmical, that actually it feels like there isn't a sense of beat or rhythm or, you know, what we're all hoping for, you know, in terms of our our relationships in terms of people to people, country to country. I mean, this seems to be a a moment in time where the rhythm of life doesn't seem to be particularly in tune, I'd suggest. Mm -hmm. True. It can can be a bit more difficult to dance without that rhythm, no? And that's where the surrender part, I think, also comes along. Uh, I think there there are moments in time where we don't have the, the answers, we don't have the the tools or all the skill sets. And that's where, when I talk about surrender, it also comes along with collaboration, be willing to ask for help, be willing mm-hmm. to be vulnerable and to allow to receive and not only give and be in control. No? Uh, so I think that's important. We're at a stage where we collaboration and, and connection is so important because it's, it's, t- it's tough, right? It's, it's, we don't have all the answers. We don't have all the ability to do everything. Do, do you think so, that surrender explains the serendipity of your life? Because it feels to me like you could never have started you know your story and and worked out where you would have got to without the twists and turns and the understanding that the things that you've experienced the people that you've met have had a profound effect on the choices that that you've made as a person I mean did you I mean did you have a sense of direction behind that or has it just been that it has just been about well I'll see what happens I'll see you know the surrender if you like as you say definitely surrender and serendipity are part of my life. Just today with Kim Pullman, we were talking about it and she said, 
you, you it's amazing your ability to adjust, adapt, and learn and relearn and move. And and because she she's followed my journey for a few years, and and it's true when she mentioned it, I was like, well, you have a point. You know, it's true that I have that ability to adjust and move. I am quite flexible, like water moving around. That part of the dance, and I think. It, it has to do that I'm willing to surrender and I'm willing to, to trust that if someone, I've always definitely been the kind of person that when I meet someone, when they someone wants to introduce me, I, I will always be there because I'm curious and mm. I believe there's a reason why people come across your life or whatever time it is. So, so I am definitely a curious person that is flexible. So I would definitely go out if my, sometimes even travel if I need to do that to meet the person or the go to the events or the project or so curiosity and flexibility uh, that I always say at the no, I already have it. Let's go for the yes. Mm-hmm. So to do that, it requires movement. And that's definitely and movement on the journey. Right. You know, the journey of your of your life. I mean, do, do you I mean, I mean, we obviously all respond to that journey in in lots of different ways. And I mean, and, and it's always interesting when you when you speak to successful people that, that seem to have got it sorted, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, you're bound to want to understand, well, okay, underneath the Young Global World Economic Forum leader is probably someone that will have the anxieties, the questions, the doubts that, that we all have in life's journey and movement. How, how do you deal with that? What's your advice to others that are, you know, similarly treading this, this path of existence that we all, we all live in terms of the things you've learned on the way in a very extraordinary life? Yeah, and totally, I, I agree a hundred percent that we're only human. All the titles, all the recognitions, that uh, yeah, it's, it's really nice to have them, but we're only human. And of course, I have my moments of frustration, of of fear, uh, no, of tiredness. Uh, and I think for me, it's been the again the part of surrendering, and and that's why the power of now that is uh, a book mm. that no, I was mentioning it was very influential so because on your on your book list, yeah. Yeah, because it's being in the present. So when I start to see that I'm getting anxious or I conflicted, I do work on the now. Okay, what do I have now? Focus back to where I am. Who is with me now that I can reach out, you know? I've learned to reach out more. So that has been very helpful. And I've also learned to to be more, not only do, because I would, you know, doing, doing, doing can also be a bit of a rat race. Mm. And it's a trap. And so what it means to be... To be for you means be present, be slow, be with me, be in a present. Let stop doing, 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 doing. You know, it's okay. Let's stop. What do I mm. observe? Trust the journey, right? What What have you done? What is possible? Who's out there? You know. And I often think different. there's a there's there's a parallel in interviewing. You know, with that, which is that you're always when the pressure of interviewing is you're always thinking about well, what's my next question. But actually, the best questions come by being present in the answer. If you know what I mean, by being and listening rather than thinking mm-hmm. where am I moving to next. I think gives you the it gives you the ability to take more from it. Now, let's move on then, Gina, mm-hmm. to your to your best tip for life. Do you want me to read it to you? Yes. Okay, so you said focus on what you do have, observing, trusting, and letting go, and remember the no, you already have it. Go for the yes in life. In order to make things happen, you need to move. Be an explorer and dancer in life. I love that. Tell us more. (laughs) Be an explorer and dancer in life, and you'll enjoy it a lot. I think it's, it's for me, when I think in the last, if I was about to die and today was my last day, you know, have I been an explorer? Have I really been curious and and moved and not just stayed and, and, and paralyzed, you know? 
I think a lot of the times we're thinking about what if or what could happen or what I don't have or what, and we're missing track of our story, our journey, what has happened and why am I here? And that's where being present and say that, no, I already have it. I can go for the yes, right? Mm. What's the worst? The worst that can happen, I'm back where I am. But at least I move and I try to do things and I explore it. And I was curious. <laughs> I, I was better, the, no? the, There's a quote, a, a wonderful Sherlock Holmes quote, where he says, you observe, but you do not see. You know, this ability to actually really understand what is it that you're observing? What is it that, what is the sort of, you know, what is the meaning of it? And mm-hmm. it, it, you know, when, I, when, I, when I read that quote, I was thinking about that in terms of actually, it's not just the ability to, to physically see, it's the, it's the ability to feel, to understand, to, to really sort of sight is so much more than just that sort of biological ability. It feels like it's, a, it feels like it's so much more in your world, Gina, and, and so much more than it should be to us. Totally. And I think that's when we're, when we're talking about observing more around is everything is information. And, and that's the sensory thing that I love about, like when you are using all the senses, you're getting information in many directions. And also when I talk about observing, trusting and letting go is I do believe like good gardening, no, you go and identify a, a, a soil or a field that is ready for it, no, mm. that you plant the seeds, but then you nurture them and you need time for these to flourish. And I, that's what I mean with sometimes is observe where you should go, where it can be, you no, know, you can plant those seeds. But then sometimes it's really about trust and letting go. Allow that mm. time for things to happen. Well, I think a lot of what you're talking about is time and how we use it, isn't it? I mean, that's sort of, yeah. which I suppose brings us to my, my last question, which I'm going to go back to where we started, the Wayne Dyer quote, that when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. If you were to use that, I suppose, as a final message to, to listeners in terms of a, advice piece for life what, what would you share as, as your final thought Gina I would invite people to not be afraid to move from where they are to go and grab other glasses and explore life and be curious from different perspectives of how you can deal and live your life you know I think it's really about be willing to move with curiosity and don't be afraid to be that explorer of life you know the worst that can happen is you're back to where you are today and the best that can happen is yet to come you know but we do need to move we we are human beings we're not robots we're not machines we're living in a world that are very influenced by all these but at the end of the day we're human beings that oh we i tell you my, i'm tingling <laughs> my spine is thinking don't be afraid to be the explorer in life what a What a wonderful message, Gina. Thank you so much for joining me on Changemakers. Thank you for the invitation. It was really nice to have you. An absolute pleasure. (laughs) Changemakers is brought to you by the campaign's firm Seven Hills and presented by me, Michael Heyman. Pure Being is the name of our soundtrack and it's written and performed by the brilliant BT Wolf. To find out more, head over to changemakers.works and if you like what you hear, why not give us a rating? 